Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Putting people on an equal footing can take many forms. We'll be talking this segment about using design, technology, or art-based as a means of making societal improvements. Joining me in studio is Antoinette Carroll. She's the founder of Creative Reaction Lab. It seeks to develop an engagement effort where students conduct research and learn more about community challenges based on residents' perceptions. Quentin Ward is a recipient of the Catherine Dunham Fellowship awarded by the Arts and Education Council. He is a student of graphic design and is working with Antoinette's lab. A little bit later, we'll be joined by Cynthia Prost, president of the Arts and Education Council of Greater St. Louis. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Antoinette, I have to confess I'm having a little bit of difficulty Mm -hmm. getting my arms around the concept. (laughs) What exactly is equity-based community design? So first I want to define design because many people, when they think about design, they only think about websites or maybe the clothes you're wearing or the tables on which you sit. Um, But design is so much more than that. And IBM gives the definition that design is the intention behind an outcome. And at Creative Reaction Lab, we expand upon that and say design is the intention and unintentional impact behind an outcome. And when you really sit and think about that for a second, you then realize that everything around us has been designed, even the things that are intangible that we may not be able to see. And so at our organization, we acknowledge that everything has the power to be designed and therefore redesigned. And when we want to redesign a better society or better neighborhood or better school, we need to make sure that we bring in a social justice-minded or a human equity approach, which is really putting people and power and action at the center of the work in which we're doing. Can you give me an example? Of course. I can give you many examples, <laughs> okay, actually. Okay, well, let's start, let's start um, with one. So one example, uh, for instance, at Creative Reaction Lab, we're currently uh, working on a project in partnership with Washington University through our Community Design Apprenticeship Program. And it is part of their Divided Cities initiative called Mobility for All. And in this, we are looking at how has public transit impacted the life expectancy and quality of life for black low-income residents. And when you acknowledge that there have been intentional decisions or aka designs that have excluded that community from light rail transit, therefore giving them a lower quality of life because of the amount of time that they have to spend getting to a light rail system, getting to jobs, you then start to see that many of those inequities, whether it's related to class and economics, whether it's related to education attainment, has been part of the design process. And so at our lab, we are currently conducting community engagement research, engaging residents, asking them, what would you do with an additional four hours of your day? And when you really sit back and reflect on that, you acknowledge that your life has been designed and been molded and shaped by other people's decisions. And so that's one of the ways in which we're doing it right now tangibly, but we've also done work around Ferguson. What specifically about uh, public transportation is exclusionary? So when you think about public transportation, especially St. Louis compared to other cities, our light rail system is not up to par to others, which is admittedly. And I will not put that just on by state because they've been doing a lot of efforts. They've tried for many years to extend the Metrolink area, and it's based on votes and other situations that we may not be aware of, such as money. Uh, But when you acknowledge that a large amount of lower-income people in poverty don't have access to cars. Then you, you recognize that they are reliant on public transportation. And if they are not able to get to easy access public transportation to take them to jobs, that can include 
that can improve their life expectancy, you then start to see that public transportation is actually a huge, huge role in our lives. It's not just recreational, which some people use it in that case, but it's actually something in which they depend upon their lifestyles. Quinn, how do you see all of this? As you're preparing now, you're winding up uh, your studies at Webster University, uh, and design is, is your thing. How do you see all of this as outlined by Antoinette? For sure. I think for me, I'm most definitely on the beginning stages of that. Uh, right now, just being a senior at Webster University, I'm already looking at how can design be more than just the digital and print that we, we're so used to. Looking at just even with my community, Spanish Lake, how can my design skills and my creativity skills that I bring to the table begin to have a conversation on how can design affect even violence prevention within my area? And, how, and it's not necessarily just the physical components, but can systems be created? Can things be created? You know, so people can feel safe in where they live at. So for me, just being in that community design apprenticeship program, it really has given me the opportunity for hands-on experience to really see how design is so much more than what we're used to in the everyday, in the everyday life. I, obviously, you've given this some thought. Let, let me ask you to be a little more specific as to how design, again, this is kind of a, a, a nebulous thing for me, mm-hmm. how design can be influential in reducing violence. Hmm. Hmm. Antoinette, do you, do you want to help Matt a little bit? Sure. Well, in 2016, uh, we actually held a lab around gun violence. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, our model was primarily focused on 24-hour challenges. Obviously, we've left that since then. Um, but in that, we had police officers, we had social workers, we had students, we had artists, we had designers mm-hmm. that came together and started to brainstorm and think about what are some intentional designs and and interventions is sometimes what I like to call them that we can put in place that will address recidivism or address the reality that gun violence is impacting even how people perceive the quality of their community and their neighborhood. And, And within this lab, we had a few ideas that came out of it. One was looking at, um, how, how to change the perception of gun violence within neighborhoods. And so many people think of only homicides, but then there's also suicides and other occurrences. And there tends to be this, that's not my problem mentality. And so they took an an art-based, interactive art-based approach, as well as a storytelling approach to show that there's actually an economic impact when it comes to gun violence in the region, and this is why you should take up arms and do something around this. And so their design or their intervention was really around getting changing perceptions around certain things as it relates to violence and then giving people the space to actually come up with solutions to address that within their own communities. Quentin, you've done some highly regarded work uh, post-Ferguson. Post For sure. Uh, tell us how that works, what, what you did and how that works into what we're talking about. For sure. Um, There's a few different projects that I've done post-Ferguson now, Um, even just one just regarding Spanish Lake. And it even goes back to the um, public public transit here in Spanish Lake as well, too, understanding that in, in Spanish Lake there's not enough sidewalks, there's not enough lighting, there's not enough of all these different things, disability ramps, because we do have a high disability community within Spanish Lake. So how to begin to better those things and just doing little things in the community that will really have major effects on people. But also within the artwork, not necessarily being, I guess, volatile or very vulgar about what's going on in the community, but telling the truth. 
um, showing it in different aspects and bringing people to a conversation to have dialogue in different ways of maybe not necessarily me being there, but also audience to audience conversation as well, too. Here's what occurs to me with uh, what you've just said and what Antoinette has been saying. And that is that the, the people that you're talking to and doing research with, they know the problems that exist there. I mean, they've lived with them. It's people outside of these communities that have to be convinced, the politicians and civic leaders and what have you. Okay, uh, you don't have to tell the people in Spanish Lake what the problems are. How do you, how do you get at the others, Antoinette? Well, what's interesting is that we tend to put this mindset that the experts are only the people that have assigned power based mm-hmm. on position. And so when you think about politicians, yes, they are technically designers. And one of the biggest problems was that they're designing for communities in which they have no relationship with at all. And one of the things that we're trying to do is how do we break down that barrier so that community voices that actually are aware of the problems are part of the co- equation for the solution. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily saying let's just reach the politician because I would argue there's a lot of efforts out where they're convening politicians, where they're convening business leaders, where they're convening mayors, but yet there's not a lot of efforts on convening community members that actually have lived experiences with these issues and giving them the power and giving them decision-making opportunities to actually change it. Some are able to do it because they have they have you know generational knowledge that have given them the kind of activism type spirit. But then there's others that just believe that their choices are per- their personal choices. And there's a professor at WashU where he said this quote that I thought was so profound. His name is Bob Hansen, in which he said, "People have choice have made choices in a system in which they have no choice." Mm-hmm. And when you actually start to think about that, you then start to acknowledge that. We need to create more spaces for the people with lived experiences to actually be in the roles of power to make these designs that can impact large communities as well as systems. Motivate. Motivate and give agency and give agency and acknowledge that these community members are living experts. That's what we call them. They're not just individuals that you go to for research, but you actually can activate them, and they have the passion, they have the drive, they have the skills to do it, but many times we don't allow the space for them to actually do it. Let me bring Cindy Prost of the uh, Arts and Education Council into the conversation. Cindy, thanks for patiently waiting as we get this thing uh, started. This is start. a fascinating conversation. Well it, well, it is fascinating, but give me your impression about what Antoinette and Quentin are doing and planning to do from your perspective. Well, um, obviously, Quentin is um, our current Catherine Dunham Fellow at the Arts and Education Council. Antoinette was the very first Catherine Dunham Fellow uh, seven years ago and is now currently a tenant in A&E's Arts Incubator, as well as, I must say, uh, we had a startup competition for community arts last year, and she and one other applicant won that, and she won that based on um, you know, her compelling reasons for putting together the arts organization that she's founding within the Centene mm-hmm. Center now. And so, um, you know, what I love about spending time with both of these young people is um, the creativity, the freshness, the different ways of thinking that they bring uh, certainly into A&E's workplace and, and into um, our incubator. And uh, this is our future. And what they're working on needs to be worked on and um I think it's extremely profound, and we're just honored to have a small role in it. Uh, a small role? What Could it be expanded? 
in terms of actually dollars and cents, maybe, which is something that everybody <laughs> seems to want and need? I am so glad that you asked that question because um, currently we have enough funding for one fellow a, a, a season. Uh, it's a $3,000 stipend for 16-hour work week uh, by these young people, and we immerse them in all the boring areas of the arts, so arts administration, um, grantsmanship, uh, donor donor development, all those things that are really important to understand if you are if you are wanting to work in this space. Um, and so uh, if a listener finds this compelling and would like to fund another fellow, we have room for probably up to four fellows that we could activate immediately this year. We had um, quite an accomplished list of applicants for the position that Quentin was granted. Um, so there's a lot of talent out there, and we would love to really get this pipeline rich with uh, future applicants. Can people interested in doing this work their way through it on, online? Yeah, they can yeah. actually just call me, and if we're going to open up applications for the next round of for spring of 2019, those applications will be on that application will be online uh, in the fall, September, uh, and then they'll go through the process. But if we had people who wanted to fund this program with us, we could activate it. We we just need a week. Okay, well, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll put the contact information on our website Thank at sdlpublicradio.org, so and maybe we can get something going for, yeah. for all of you. <laughs> I've got to take a break. Let's do that now. My guests are Antoinette Carroll of the Creative Reaction Lab, Quentin Ward, a Catherine Dunham Fellowship Award winner, and Cynthia Prost, from whom you just heard, President of the Arts and Education Council. Back to continue this discussion in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Antoinette Carroll, Quentin Ward, and Cynthia Prost. Um, Antoinette, let me come back to you. You mentioned at the outset that uh, the, the inspiration for some of this, and maybe the, the majority of it, was Ferguson, the Michael Brown incident. What specifically about that, uh, that incident was the, the trigger for you? So I am a St. Louis native. I, I've been here my entire life. I grew up in um, the Kenlock and Normandy neighborhood in a small stint in Riverview. Um, but then when I was old enough to obviously go out on my own, uh, my family and I moved to Ferguson. And I actually moved out of Ferguson six months prior to the start of the unrest. And so when we talk about Ferguson, for me, it wasn't just something I saw in a news story and then I had this connection and relation to. I actually was in that community. I lived in that community, and I lived in communities that were more challenged than Ferguson itself and also was you know, highly impacted by the segregation within the St. Louis region. And when I think about Ferguson, I saw the power of youth on the ground changing society. And I don't think they get enough credit. I don't think we talk about it enough, the power of youth in actually transforming even the work we're doing within the St. Louis region. That the individuals that were out on the front lines, putting their body on the line, have spurred the creation of the Ferguson Commission that led to Ford through Ferguson, that led to the Ferguson Report, that led to Deputy Mayor of Racial Equity in a new mayoral cabinet. Like When you think about the impact of what young people did in that moment, the impact of what the community with lived experience did in that moment, not only are you inspired, but you're activated. Mm -hmm. 
And for me, I wanted to create a space of inclusion and action because around Ferguson, there was also this very fragmented approach. And I'm not just talking about people on the ground. I mean, just across the city. Mm -hmm. There was a fragmented approach. It was very top down. And there were a lot of spaces in which there was convenings around discussion, but not convenings around action. And I know with a lot of protesters on the ground, they were pushing for action, actionable change. And in our instance, we just created a lab, which we had no idea would turn into a full nonprofit, that was around how do we bring action to these issues. And we should point out that young people are the focus of this. You're, we're talking about high school students and young college students, correct? Yes. Uh, we focus on black and Latinx youth, and mm -hmm. we're looking at how do we train them to become the racial equity leaders of tomorrow, which you usually don't hear about racial yeah. equity and youth put together, mm -hmm. but yet... It has taken us centuries to get to where we are, and so we're thinking about how do we address it today as well as prepare for what's going to happen in the future. Quentin, what was, what was inspirational and motivational to you and your projects about Ferguson? Um, for me, I think growing up in North County and Spanish Lake and that only being about 15 minutes away was very, I think it really hit home. Um, I remember when it happened and I called my friend um, and I was like, man, you live five five minutes away from where that happened. You know, that could have easily been one of us. And I think that was most definitely the spark that really put, I guess, this idea of awareness um, into my mind, especially that was when I was a freshman, freshman going into college. So that most definitely was in my mind. And I think for me, it began a sense it began a sense of awareness even for my own community understanding like okay right now i only live here but i'm not engaged with the space around me so how can i begin to come, become engaged with spanish like my community but even st louis as a whole so i think working with antoinette right now is most definitely giving me the foundations of not just being a designer because for most designers at least for me right now it's a lot of working by myself so being able to work with a group of people and understanding issues and breaking them down and seeing that an illness is not just one it's not just one problem but that illness is connected to so many different things that are happening and so really just breaking it down and putting the foundation into works for sure. Cindy Prost, uh, what do you see as the role of the, of the arts community overall in dealing with societal issues? I think that there's, there's always a place for the artist. I mean, a lot of times we rely on artists to sort of communicate and, and lay the groundwork for um, any sort of a societal fracture that we're experiencing. I think... Um, you know, as far as internally with Arts and Education Council, you know, we really do understand that diverse teams are always the most successful teams in, in a workplace. Um, the more you can get a broader range of people together that have wider range of interests, experiences, and backgrounds to draw upon, you're going to make your environment a better place. Um, we, we all like to think that the, the arts are already richly culturally diverse, and I think that that is true in a lot of areas with a lot of art forms. But when you look at um, arts leadership, at cultural institutions, um, organizations like A&E, um, some of the bigger institutions, you don't see uh, people of color in leadership roles. And so the Catherine Dunham Fellowship is really designed to eliminate a lot of the barriers that um, African-Americans might not be able to overcome in uh, having an internship at, a, at an arts organization. Primarily, this is a paid internship, and we're really immersing the fellows in, you know, a lot of the back-of-the-house uh, administrative-type roles that they might not have thought of for themselves. 
Antoinette, I think you were the first uh, Dunham Fellowship uh, honoree. Uh, what did it mean to you? There's so many words I can use to describe the fellowship. I, I was named a fellow in 2011 when it was when it was at the Regional Arts Commission and started by Sarah and Jack Burke. And at that time, I wasn't even aware of the fellowship. I just knew that I wanted to gain greater access to not only the arts but the administrative side because the arts is a business. And I don't think we talk about that enough, that for a theater production to be produced, there has to be people on the back actually making sure that it happens. It's not just about the ones that write the script. Uh, and I wanted to get more real-world experience around that, particularly in the marketing and development space. And the Regional Arts Commission and the Catherine Dunham Fellowship not only provide the skills, but it provided the network and provided confidence for me to see that I can actually have a career within the arts. And since then, I've worked within arts administration. I was at Stages St. Louis. I also obviously now run my own arts uh, art space uh, institution. And it really shows the power of the arts within itself. Because when you think about the arts, it is the equivalent of culture. It is the equivalent of history. And that value system and that power uh, shows that the artist is just crucial for everything that we have in society. Most people don't realize the economic impact of the arts in this mm -hmm. community. I think it rivals uh, the sports teams that get so much attention, mm -hmm. and uh, we're talking a lot of dollars mm -hmm. being generated. Quentin, what did the uh, fellowship mean to you? For sure. Um, I would say this fellowship for me is almost two parts. It's most definitely learning from the mentors that I have at A&E, um, learning from Emily and now currently with Matt right now in programming and grants and just really understanding a lot of what Cindy was saying, a lot of the back of the house, but also just the opportunity to network with a lot of different art professionals and having those opportunities to sit down and really talk about. I've had probably more talks about my future more so than necessarily <laughs> arts administration. <laughs> so having those, having people there that are supporting you and really looking out for your best interests, I think has been very, it's just been very influential for sure. Antoinette, in the, in the couple of years that you've been in business with your nonprofit, what can you point to as specific successes? Uh, specific successes, uh, one directly is when we started around Ferguson. Uh, the first lab, we had over 60 idea pitched. Uh, five were worked on throughout the night, and all five ideas were activated in the St. Louis community within a year. What, what, what kinds of ideas? Right? So we had um, the idea of Cards Against Brutality, which was a, a curriculum and card game directly looking at uh, the framing of uh, police brutality victims and how many times there's this negative framing such as thug opposed to acknowledging mm -hmm. that they were someone's daughter and brother and friend and student. Uh, there also was the project of Vibe Switch, which was directly looking at the fact that we've all been stereotyped in some form of uh, some form of another and that we need to take back our identity and say, well, why you stereotype me as this? In reality, I am this. And so it, some of them were arts-based. Some of them were technology-based. Some of them were around community engagement. And that one really was the catalyst and that spark that not only created St. Louis interest, but also national interest in the work that we were doing. And now, uh, fast forward a few years, we have our Design to Better Our Community program targeting high school youth, which is, there's a lot of cities interested in bringing that program directly to their area. And then we also created 
as stated earlier, uh, equity-centered community design, which is a new form of creative problem-solving that's receiving international acclaim. You, you have a couple of labs coming up, don't you, a spring lab and a summer lab? So we have a couple of community design apprenticeship program mm-hmm. um, coming up. Uh, we are going to relaunch it in the fall, uh, giving us a summer break, and then from there we'll have it every fall, spring, and summer. And then Design to Better Our Community uh, is a program we partner with you already youth-serving organizations, such as Upward Bound, uh, as well as Empower, and we are happy to speak with other youth-serving organizations that want to bring that program to their students as well. Right. Yeah, you have a, a website, I'm sure, that we can uh, we can uh, uh, link to on ours as well, correct? Yes. Okay. As we get to the point where we have to wrap this up, Quentin, let me ask you, what lies ahead from you, aside from graduation in a couple of months, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, in, in, in the context of all of this? For sure. Um, for right now, I'm most definitely looking at a gap year. Uh, to kind of take my time and really understand what I want to do for a master's program. Uh, so that's really exciting because I think with a lot of the work that I'm doing with Antoinette and then also with the Arts and Education Council, it's most definitely opening up that, oh, it doesn't necessarily just have to be an MFA, but it can be architecture, it can be urban design. So really taking that step back and really understanding what's the next step to really bridge this gap between art design and community. Cindy, isn't it exciting to see a young person just getting ready to get started on what promises to be a great career? Yes, it's thrilling. And I I will say, um, just working with, I mean, I've known Antoinette for quite a few years now and watched her remarkable progress. I mean, she's very humble, but, you know, she's an in-demand TED TED speaker. Um, She's actually... Seen that. She's much much more known outside of St. Louis uh, nationally than she is than she's locally. And, you know, Quentin brings so much to our workplace and to me personally. I mean, I learned so much from everybody. So um, programs like this are really uh, impactful. They're important. They're meaningful. And, um, you know, we, we intend to grow this, this Catholic Dunham Fellowship. You want to add something to that, Antoinette, before we have to say goodbye? Uh, just follow all the work that we're doing and if you can get involved, please do because we, we'd love for you to join the efforts of Arts and Education Council as well as Creative Reaction Lab. Final thought from you, Quentin? No, I'm good. Okay, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes you are. Yes you are. And you're going to prove it, I know. Thank you. Thanks to Antoinette Carroll for being with us, Creative Reaction Lab. Now, Quentin Ward, the Catherine Dunham Fellowship Award winner and Cindy Prost, President of the Arts and Education Council. Thank you so much for being with us. Continued success to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.